Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. Uh, Come on in. It is so good to have each and every one of you here. Um, My name is Greg McKinney. My wife and I, you were able to meet her uh, at the beginning. We are the lead pastors here at Glory Church. And if you are new, uh, it is so good to have you. I'll I'll let you know right now, we lead this place. um, I don't know if you've been uh, to churches very often, and sometimes we elevate pastor up here. Can I just tell you, I want to be like down here, okay? I'm I'm here with you, and I I speak that. We we try to proclaim that. Uh, We have some four crazy kids who were up here worshiping and now are, are down in the kids' ministry Thank you for trusting your kids to be in the kids' ministry with us, uh, trusting us with them. Uh, We're going to have an amazing time of an egg hunt afterwards, so stick around with us, even if you don't have any kids and just want to watch as as children have at it. Um, I watched a lot of funny videos this week of, like, kids tackling each other as they die for the egg. Hopefully that won't happen uh, at our church, but, you know, you never know. Some of you you taught your kids how to use their elbows well. I know. Um, they'll, They'll get in. But we are this morning ending a series that we've called Consider Jesus. And don't worry if uh, this is a standalone message. If you've been with us at all, that's amazing. If you haven't, uh, that's okay. We're, we're celebrating the risen king, and why, what not a better way to do so uh, through considering Jesus, right? I mean, that just makes a little, little bit of sense. Um, but to preface this, we sort of have prayed, so every year I do this thing as, uh, as a leader, as we do this as leadership, and we pray through the theme word for the year. And maybe this is your first time, uh, but the theme word that we have claimed for 2023 is breakthrough. Breakthrough. And what I just felt is that the Lord was really uh, calling us to be a church where we had breakthrough. And I'm not just talking about uh, what we would like to get our way of things, but I don't know about you, but sometimes I need like some relational breakthroughs because I can't do it on my own. Anyone else? Like you just are struggling with some relationships. I need the Lord to break through. Others of you, we need mental breakthroughs. We just keep getting in this habit uh, and it's just a revolving door of addiction in our life. God, I need a, a, a and a mental, an emotional breakthrough. We've also prayed through spiritual ones. And so I wanted to keep that theme as we talk through probably the pivotal moment when the Lord, the God Almighty, decided to break through the power of sin and death, right? Uh, today we're talking about the time when the Lord Almighty said, it is finished. I am ready to break through. In fact, you can go to many self-help seminars. You can read as many books as you want. Um, but other than what the world tries to tell us are coping mechanisms to fix ourselves, the only way to break through in freedom is through what we're t- diving in today, is the moment on the cross when someone's skin, not just someone, but the, the, the Lord Almighty Jesus, uh, his skin was broke through so that we could have uh, peace, have healing, have eternal life, have everlasting hope. And so to carry that into today, I have a, um, 
a theme for us, and maybe you've seen it already, there's the power of the blood, sort of what we're diving into today, the power of the blood. If you, if you know Revelation really well, there's this image of, of, of what the end is going to look like, but then it talks about the accuser, uh, the enemy, and it speaks this in, in uh, Revelation 12, it says, we, the, the people of God, triumphed over the accuser by two things, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And this is really where we're sitting in today, that, that the beauty of this is that Jesus's blood was shed. He endured sin and death and shame. He endured it all so that we now as his followers, the accusations will come, but we triumph over them by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. And this is the beautiful thing this morning. We're talking about the instinct shaping power of the blood. That word instinct has been with me a lot. Um, about a, a month ago, God just kept saying, uh, people are not going to change until their instincts are changed. Like people are not going to change until their instincts are changed. Uh, and he just kept hitting the, and I'm like, God, why do people keep doing bad things? Anyone know that? Like, why do my kids keep doing bad things? And God's like, cause brother, you instilled in them some pretty nasty instincts. And I'm like, listen, God, but we can't change in and of ourselves. In fact, I can, I can read as much as possible, but until our instincts are shaped, we will keep flowing from what we've known. But the power of the blood is instinct shaping. I mean, that word has been hit with me. I want life abundantly. But it's interesting, Jesus has given us new life, but what gets into our abundant life is our instincts. Our instincts. Because uh, when... You came in and realized that there's a lot of people who don't look like you. Your instincts kicked in and you were like, walls go up. When you came in and you didn't see someone really quickly, your instincts kicked in. The last time someone said, I love you to you, some of you, your instincts kicked in and your walls went up, right? Like we can try to talk all the time about being changed, but really our instincts, some of you, you're never going to let anyone hurt you again. Your instincts kick in. And you realize the, the Savior who suffered says, now I want to meet with you in your suffering, but you won't even let yourself suffer, so you'll never know my comfort. It's interesting, instincts go so much, but we will triumph over by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. I need my instincts to be shifted, to, to be changed. It's interesting, though, the idea of instincts is very, like, blood-related. Have you ever heard, like, that's just in their blood? Right, like there's a kid and he's just really, uh, he's really chaotic and angry. And then you look at dad and then you look at grandpa. And then what do we say? It's just in their blood, uh, right? And we, we throw that out there like a lot. Like we instinctually know that there are things that are traveled in bloodline. Like we're like, oh, he's a hothead. Have you met his daddy? Uh, oh, he, he's, he's a little bit all about himself. Have you met his, his mom? Have you met her mom? And, and so we, we get this in a natural level that things get traveled. Uh, it's in their blood. It's in their blood. But the beauty that we have is a new bloodline that we don't step into. How many of your instincts are still more in line with your parents than they are with your father God? Like, right? Like, that's the issue. I need the cleansing power of Jesus right now. It's interesting how much instincts we personally have from our bloodline that still aren't changed. That still aren't changed. But he's calling me to overcome, not by my bloodline, but by the blood of the lamb. 
This is the image. We overcome by the blood of the lamb, but it gets a little bit more personal than, yeah, than this. Um, have you ever noticed that these two things are together? It's, it's interesting that you cannot overcome just by Jesus's blood. It's interesting that the enemy could care less if you just said, by the blood of Jesus, I'm going to be free. It's interesting that you cannot overcome by just the blood. It must also be by the word of your story that is connected to that blood. You see, this is the beauty of this, how personal this is. You are not, I'm not transformed or I'm not an overcomer or I'm not victorious by Jesus' blood alone. I'm overcome by fear when I just try to call on Jesus. But when I see clearly his blood and my connection to it, the enemy flees. When I see the confidence that I have because the blood of Jesus has not just washed my sins, but it has, has empowered me to move, then, like, then victory takes place. It's personal. I also wrote, uh, this is a desire-transforming power, the blood of Jesus. It really shapes our will, our lifestyle, his bloodline, how protective. This morning, I want you to walk away knowing how protective the blood of Jesus is. Some of you, you have never felt protected. You always feel like you have to put up the walls. Can we just talk about the victory in the blood of the lamb and our word of his testimony, or the word of our testimony with it, how we are connected to that? I want you to leave this morning knowing how protective God's blood is, how cleansing, how powerful it's through his blood that we have intimacy with him. I mean, I need a belief in his blood. But I have a, I have a passage for you, okay? We're going to dive into Hebrews, then we're going to land in Luke, and then we're going to jump back into Hebrews. Sound good? Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 says this. It says, therefore, my friends. And anytime you read therefore, you need to know what it's like, therefore. Uh, so what happened in chapter 9 and 10? I'm not going to read it. It's a lot. But I'm doing this for a reason, Okay. What happened in that chapter 9 and 10 is, is the writer of Hebrews is beautifully dictating why Jesus had to die and how it's connected to the sacrifices of old. And he's, he's literally talking about why the blood of Jesus matters. And it's just going back and down and down and down. And then he says this, therefore, because the blood of Jesus is powerful, because the blood of Jesus is protective, because the blood of Jesus cleanses you, because the blood of Jesus is a transforming thing, he says this, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he has opened for us through the curtain, like Hope was saying, that is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart. Let us approach him with a true heart in full assurance of our faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, I just want to be real up here, okay? Uh, how many of you, and you don't have to raise your hand because this might be something you don't want to admit to. <laughs> how many of you read the Bible or sit in a service and you, you listened as the pastor read a passage and you literally were like, what the crap did we just read? You don't have to raise your hand. Others of you, you read it and you think, this means nothing to me. It's also interesting that when we read it, sometimes 
we can have words that cause for us this issue. The psychological world likes to call this a cognitive dissonance. In fact, one of Jesus' favorite things to do is to cause people some cognitive dissonance. What that means is when you hear something that maybe a portion of your, your mind believes, but then it attacks the majority of your other brain, part of your brain that does not believe that. Uh, cognitive dissonance is when you have two opposing attitudes going on. Anyone like really loves someone, but also you really are annoyed with them. The co- you don't know how to act, right? Because you love, anyone have children? I mean, that's, that's literally cognitive dissonance going on. We have warring beliefs sometimes. Jesus loves speaking something, so it creates in the audience this war of belief. Since we have confidence, I would entertain the fact that many of us do not believe we have confidence to enter the sanctuary, the holy place. Many of us lack confidence to step in. And so we read this and we instantly already take a step back out of this. Some of you, you're not even believers in the room and you're like, I don't even know what this is. This is, I'm just ready to go. I came to please my spouse. I came to please my friends. But it says confidence. But then it says this new and living way that he has opened up through us, for us. Verse 22, let us approach then with a true heart. I think if we owned it, some of us, we really have a deceiving heart at times. There's not much truth. Sometimes we have fallacies. Some of you, you struggle to sleep. You're anxious. There's not much of a true, pure, direct one going always the right direction heart. But we are now to approach with this true heart and full assurance of faith. These words are so grand and beautiful and huge to make you think, I can't. Let yourself feel this. I can't. Heart sprinkled clean. He doesn't know my conscience. He doesn't know. It says our body is washed pure. You're like, you don't know what I was doing last night. My body's not washed pure. So I'm supposed to approach with confidence. In one screen, you could both feel lies, experience doubt, feel shame, and feel confusion. It's interesting what the word of God can do if we actually let it speak to us and let cognitive dissonance take place. And the reality is I speak this because this is a promise of what you can have in Jesus if you believe the power of the blood. Because the whole reason is we have confidence because of the blood. We can move forward because of the blood. We can have peace because of the blood. We can have our hearts sprinkled daily clean because of the blood. We can have an evil conscience go out the door because of the blood. We have a great high priest because of the blood. So if we just sit in and are like, okay, I'm going to own as a pastor, I don't believe the power of the blood. Can you own in it as we dive into this today? Can you own that? Either you just own that. I don't believe it as much as I should. Because the one thing that I want to mention as we get into this, we're about to uh, open up to Luke chapter 24. But one thing I want to mention is this understanding something. And some of you need to get this, okay? Understanding something is very different than being transformed by something. 
Understanding something is very different than being transformed by that something. And often, we get in this habit of our Western world. Some of you have treated church like this. Often, we get in the habit of our Western world to come in, get understanding, and then leave. And we think understanding the scriptures, understanding Jesus, getting to know these good things will somehow change us. But can we just all realize that that is often not the case? I'm pretty sure uh, that the Bible actually says, uh, while we elevate understanding above trust, we do that. If I just knew more, then I could trust. And God's like, I want you to trust me. Pretty sure the same time that we elevate knowledge above trust, Jesus also says, can you pray for peace? And then God will give you peace that surpasses what? Understanding. And so we always elevate understanding. If I just knew Jesus more, if I just knew my issues more, if I, I, just, need, I just need to understand why I do the things I do. Okay, well, that's one part. The pursuit of knowledge cannot change me. Do you want to know how? Do you want to know how? Like, understanding does not change the heart. It does not change instincts. I want to tell you, like, you could go to, I could go to a 101 about Kate McKinney. All right, I'll call her by her her maiden name. Mary Kate Watson. I could go to a 101 class, everything I need to know about Mary Kate Watson, and I could understand the ins and outs of, of, of her mind, her emotion, her heart. I mean, we've seen like the, the movies, like What a Girl Wants, or you know, we, we see the movies where the man instantly can th- hear all the thoughts of a woman. Does that help him? No. Because at the end of the day, more understanding about my wife does not change the instincts that I have. Some of you, you've been instinctually taught from childhood how to manipulate the situation. Do you think more understanding of your bride would help you love her? Or would it feed the tools that you already have in your instincts? Now you could do a better job at manipulating. Some of you, your instincts are to hide Understanding something doesn't change your instincts. It often becomes a tool at which your instincts can use to thrive better. You thrive. Understanding, you can know the ins and outs of scripture, but can we all just talk about how many men have preached on pulpits, understandings of scripture, yet their instincts have not shifted? And so when pretty girl number five came, it finally came out that pretty girl number five was the fifth adultery that he had. Because understanding does not change the heart. It doesn't. I read the word and it says, for it is by faith that we are saved, right? It is by faith that our heart is changed. It's by this belief that we are shifted. Understanding may be helpful, but understanding does not equal transformation. So I say all of this because you understand the blood of Jesus. But do we believe it? We understand that Jesus had to die. But do we believe it? We understand the ins and outs of why it had to happen and what it means for us. But do we believe it? Because belief is what, like if I can just paint this, understanding may give you clarity onto the door. Understanding may give you clarity onto to, to the wife, the thing, the issue, but faith 
is what pushes you to actually walk through, right? Understanding is one part, but belief is everything. And so we're going to pick up to Luke 24, where you're going to hear this, this call to do more than understand. Though understanding is a part of it. There's more. So by this time, uh, Jesus has one dead. Uh, he's been now uh, missing. They, go to, they run to the tomb. Uh, Luke 24, at the beginning, is when the resurrection happens. It says the first day of the week, so the resurrection day is happening. Mary and the ladies go with uh, some spices. They cannot find Jesus, who took our Savior. Like, what is this? Uh, he's now already presented himself. Uh, he looks like a gardener to Mary. He's also presented himself on the road uh, to some other disciples in Luke. Uh, it's really cool. Cephas, these names that you never got to hear in other places now are being mentioned. And now he's with the 12. Verse 36. While they, the 12, were talking about this, everything that they've heard about the day, he appeared to Mary as a gardener. He's not in there, all these things. While he is there, while they are there, Jesus himself stood among them. And he said, peace be with you. And they were startled and they were terrified. And they thought they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch and see me. A ghost does not have flesh and blood as you, or bones as you see that I have. What I love is he's calling out that they do not believe. Why is doubt rising in you? Why are things happening? Because what I love like, is, is sadly... When push comes to shove, when despair comes knocking, we will allow, allow again and again our instincts to kick in. That's what they're doing. They've allowed their instincts to kick in when we're afraid, when we're shocked, when we're taken aback, when someone screams. I mean, some of you. I knew my dad never scare my dad. Uh, he always like threw a punch. I'm like, dad, what are you doing? We're just, we're having fun. Like, why do you have to throw a punch? Because his instincts kick in. You see, when you're shocked, when you're scared, when you get uh, just alerted, your instincts kick in. And it's really interesting when they get shocked, their instinct of doubt arises. This can't be Jesus. It has to be a ghost. It has to be a tormentor. It has to be something else. This can't be Jesus. They, they, the instinct to trust the physical above the, the spiritual sets in. And he says, look, see. This cool word about this word, see, touch and see. It's, I need you to understand. And that's the word again. I need you to understand. Jesus just wants them to understand. And I love his little grace, his grace for them. Understanding doesn't bring change, but he still wants them to understand. And in fact, like, right, knowledge doesn't change their instincts, but he wants them to understand. Verse 40, and just to prove this, he says to this, he shows them his hands and his feet, and verse 41, while in their joy, they were disbelieving still. They were still wondering. And then his grace is shown even more. He says to them, hey guys, do you have any food? Do you have anything to eat? <laughs> I love that Jesus is just, he's not opposed to their doubt. He's still willing to eat with them. They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, he ate it in their presence, and then it continues, uh, then he says to them, these are my words that I've spoken while I was still with you, 
that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms, they must be fulfilled. Verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand. There's that word again, understand. Can I tell you the, the goodness of Jesus is he longs to give you understanding? He longs to give you understanding. The pursuit of understanding is not a bad thing. But what are you going to do with the understanding? Right? Like, it's in his grace, the Holy Spirit. He literally gives us the Spirit who is the guide into all truth. Asking like truth, that one. He guides you right to truth. Asking God, like, I just need to understand why these things keep happening. God, will you just give me clarity? Will you give me uh, an understanding? That's one thing. But what are you going to do with that? Because understanding won't shift you. Jesus knew. He gives them understanding, but it continues, verse 46. Then he says, this is what it was written, that the Messiah had to suffer, had to bleed, had to die, and he had to rise from the dead on the third day. 47, so that, the word and, it also could be so that, can join together repentance and forgiveness of sins could be proclaimed in his name beginning from Jerusalem. This is really interesting. Does it say that understanding could be proclaimed into all of of the world, all of Jerusalem, all the nations? No, it says repentance. That word repentance means a change of belief. Jesus is granting us understanding every day so that we change our beliefs about him. And through the belief change, he offers freedom, forgiveness, you see, this word repentance means a complete 180 of our faculty of thinking, our beliefs, our, what motivates us, what shifts us, what changes us. Repentance is the act that spurs us into faith, into belief, and then we experience freedom. So can I just tell you right now, like, uh, understanding provides the door, repentance of what now we know is what gives us the faith to move forward. If I can say this in a very simple way, okay, this, this will be a note for you. Jesus provides us, even in this room, you're about to hear a little bit about the blood, right? Jesus provides understanding so that we can choose repentance and then experience freedom. Why is this necessary? Because a lot of you, you're looking for understanding, <laughs> but you do not do the choice of repentance when it comes. You take it and you go. You're looking for understanding. How do I be a better boyfriend? How do I be a better husband? How do I get rich quick? Like, how do I be a good steward? How do I get over this addiction? How do I fill in the blank? You want understanding, but then you want to take the understanding and run with it. Do you want to know why you struggle to feel freedom? It's because you do not take the needed time, the choice to repent when the Father gives you understanding. Every time the word of God is made, the response of repentance should always come before we feel freedom. Have you ever noticed that like when you read God's word and you're like, dang, that was good. It's because it attacks you. It shifts you, it is cut and prodded, and now your response is either, okay, that was good, and you try to live it, live it, but no change occurred, 
Or you could say, Father, like, I, I need that. Here's my heart, Lord. Take it. Take it. Shift it. I repent. You see, often we forgo that. But listen, it's interesting. Knowing something's only a portion, it gives you the reins. Knowing something gives you control. But now are you going to repent? Literally, the, the interesting thing is often the reason we don't feel free is because God has given the understanding, but we have done little repentance through it. God has given us the understanding, and we've done little. And so I'm going to get a little um, historical. You guys know that you love this about, okay. If you don't love it, you can head on the doors there. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Please don't leave. Uh, but I love getting into the, just the history. So the interesting thing that we miss out on, because we're not Jews, and the interesting thing that we miss out on because we don't do the the annual act of killing an animal for our, like, freedom, for our forgiveness, is this. Um, The bloodshed happened in the middle of those two things. Meaning, where Jesus says to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins, what they would have known that we miss is the bloodshed had to happen in the middle of repentance and freedom. Bloodshed happens in the middle. And why does that matter? Because when we say, like, God, there's power in your blood. And have you ever heard, like, the very Pentecostal people saying, I'm pleading the blood of Jesus over them. You know, like, there's no power in that until repentance fuels what actually that blood means. And then there's freedom. You see, God would tell them this, Leviticus 16. I'm not opening it up. I'm going to tell you what it's about. Okay. Uh, there's a lot. You can write that down and read it later. God sets up this beautiful system with Moses and his brother Aaron, who's going to be the priest. And God tells Aaron and Moses this. You ready? He says, every year at the Day of Atonement, which would have happened in September, uh, in our calendar of things, every year at the Day of Atonement, what I need you to do is call for a collective time of repentance. And what I need Aaron to do is he's going to sacrifice a bull first for his family so that he's clean. And then he's going to take two lambs, two goats. Some of you are like, two? Two goats. And the purpose of this is on one, though people are repenting, he's going to call them all to corporate repentance. They're all repenting. He's going to speak over one after they cast lots One's going to be for the Lord to die, and the other, your translations will say, will be the scapegoat. Or some of you will be, it'll say, for Azazel. And you're like, what's that? That's a demon. That's fun. Uh, So literally, and this will make sense later, two goats, one will be dead, and the other will be a live offering. And you're like, this sounds twisted. Just bear with me, okay? The dead offering. The people would be repenting. They are praising, they are worshiping, they are confessing. And through that repentance, Aaron would slaughter the, the goat that would die. He would dip his hands in the blood, ew, and, and sprinkle it seven times on the altar. This act of death would come after their repentance. And then they would get forgiveness and freedom. 
I say all of this because we are so far from it that if you're taking this out, the personal shedding of blood, it comes after that choice to forgive. So what if your daily lack of repentance has shielded you from feeling the daily abundance of freedom? No, I mean this. What if, and I could say in this way, I'm not talking about your eternal salvation if you're a Christ follower, okay? He has paid the price for your sin. You are heaven bound. You're, you are, you've changed the location. But the sad reality is, uh, how many of you have like kids or parents? The sad reality with any relationship is when I wrong them, the way to make my relationship fixed is for me to repent, Right? is for me to come and mend it, or else there will be a level of not freedom when I'm with them. Anyone feel that? Like you're going home, uh, some of you are eating dinner with family, and uncle so-and-so is going to be there, and you know that he knows that they know, and you just, you're already prepared to walk on the Easter eggshells, right? Like you're already prepared for that to happen. Why? Because you feel little freedom, because there's been little repentance. What if the reason you keep struggling with boldness in your faith, the reason you keep diving back into that shame, the reason that that thing keeps coming up is because your daily life has little repentance and it's actually shielded, or may I say calloused you from believing, seeing, knowing his freedom. Because it's through repentance that the blood matters. And it's through repentance that the blood happens. And then the blood is what forgives it and frees. Does this make sense? It's interesting, but we, and so some of you, I want to just play the devil's advocate. Um, some of you are, are thinking, and you're already checked out, because any time something makes you feel like it's all your fault, you check out. Some of you, you're already thinking, so it's my fault I don't feel free. Okay, it's my fault that this addiction keeps... Oh, cool, another person is going to blame all my problems on me. It's interesting that we do this. Or some of you are just wanting to blame God again. Oh, it's okay, so I'm to blame. We love to play the blame game. But the interesting thing is the blame game is more in line with the accuser of the brethren than the father of the saints. Does this make sense? The blame game, uh, Jesus does not play the blame game. The enemy does. And sometimes we can get in this thinking that's more oppressive to us. Instead of just pausing, what if it's not about who's to blame at all? And it's more about every day I have an opportunity to enter the throne room and just say, God, I realize I can't keep going on my own. I need you. Will you give me peace? Will you give me clarity? I can always tell the relationships that are struggling with repentance. They don't really talk through things. They don't really find common ground because they, you could just feel the tension in the room. A lot of you walk around with that kind of tension toward the Holy Spirit. And you're wondering why I don't feel free. What if? It's not about a blame game. But what if just the act of pausing today and just realizing there's a natural order to my daily freedom. And it always begins with me just saying, God, I need you. I repent. Always begins with me just saying, I can't do this alone. I need you, Jesus. I need you. 
It's interesting, though. I want to get back to the Day of Atonement because it's really beautiful. Uh, Moses says this in Leviticus 16, sprinkle it. Uh, but I, I think we miss up in our, our world, because I don't know about you, but I wasn't there when Jesus died on the cross. You might have, maybe some of you were. Uh, but I wasn't there when Jesus died on the cross, so sometimes I can feel so distant from it that just the idea of him dying and being victorious is smashed into one. And we like to celebrate the life of Jesus and not really think about the death. But it's actually like repentance, then death, then forgiveness. Repentance, then bloodshed, then forgiveness. I think this is why Paul tries to teach this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it's not going to be up here, it's, it's in my mind. He says to this, like, We, all of us, like I need you to see this. I walk around daily. We, he plurals it. It's him and the fellow leaders. We walk around daily with the death of Jesus in us. We walk around daily holding in our mortal bodies the death of Jesus. And then he says, so that his life may be in us. If you're struggling to feel the life in you, I think this is Paul saying every day, every day, I think about the fact that he bled and died. Every day I attach my sins back onto him and I see and I experience and I remember the dying savior because it's not just this, this, oh, I'm so wretched that Jesus had to die. No, it's he died, his blood cleansed, and now I have life. This is the power of that, that declaration that, that we have to cognitively on this side of the resurrection do that order daily. I carry around Jesus' death so that I can experience his life. I carry around his death. But we're going to get a little bit more personal. Colossians chapter 2, where Paul says to them, this father, God of yours, he's made you alive with him when he took the record that was written against you with all of its legal demands. And he nailed it to the cross. He nailed it to the cross. What I'm saying, I don't know. I've read like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Have any of you ever said like a, seen an eviction notice or something like some paper attached to the cross? Uh, has anyone ever seen that? Like there's, there's no gospel record of a piece of paper of the legal rights against you put on the cross. Paul's literally making this very personal. You want to know why the power in the blood is is powerful? It's because the record that stood against me, the Father put it on Jesus, wrote it on him, set him aside, and nailed it to the cross. You want to know something really sad? Like Jesus's blood is the product of my sin being nailed to the cross. That is why the enemy flees when I say, in the name of like Jesus, the blood of Jesus, I am cleansed. That's why, because I think daily my sin is nailed to the cross. And the product of my accusations is his blood trickling down. It's cleansed me. I've practiced this. I I really did practice this today because I never want to say something that I'm not practicing. Uh, Have you ever like wondered like what if the reason I keep giving into this is because of putting it on the cross with blood trickling down? I actually like to keep it close by just in case I need it on a hard day. Some of you like... 
Your sins are so united with you that you struggle to perceive it daily on the cross, cleansed by his blood. But I really did this this week. I was walking from a uh, flag football game yesterday. Uh, This is real life. And I just already, I don't know what took me there, but I traveled down this insecurity mindset. Anyone have that? And just, I don't even know where it started, but I'm just like already hating on myself in some weird way. And I cognitively decided, this is a de- the decision. I was thinking through things and it was just weird. Like my mind just traveled, 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 traveled. I had to pause. And I literally said, I am seeing that right now on the cross of Christ. And right now I'm watching as those thoughts get covered by his blood. And literally, as I'm doing this, I'm not even joking, I stopped thinking about it. Like, it just had peace. I literally had the confidence to say, I don't need to think about that. My children are here with me, and I love them. My life is good. Like, God is here. And that sounds so simple, but I remember the times when my shame was bad. In the past, my past of of just sexual sins were constantly uh, always around me in my marriage early on, year one. I remember very powerfully, I had to cognitively place that on the cross of Jesus and say, you can't accuse her. You can't speak these lies to me anymore because there's blood covering it. Like you can't anymore because there's blood covering it. And the more that I kept believing this, like, that's when transformation happens. Not because I cognitively understand it, but I believe it. Some of you cognitively understand your sins are covered. You don't place them there in belief. You don't place them there in belief. We keep saying, God, why aren't you killing this? Do you ever have those thoughts? God, if you would just kill that sin for my life, I would be free. But that's not the way that the, the Lord works. We place in repentance our sins on the cross so that he, through his power, can kill it. Often the reason it's still there, God wants to, you're not repenting. Your heart isn't full of repentance. You still think that you deserve that feeling. You still think that you deserve that thing. You still think that you need that thing. And so there's no repentance, and then there's no killing. Repentance must happen first, but I love this because it continues. If you know that Colossians passage, it says, he set it aside, nailed it to cross, and then my favorite thing, he says, then he erased the record. Not only that, he disarms the rulers, the authorities, the principalities, And he decides to make a public spectacle of them. I literally like to tell Satan, some of you are going to think I'm crazy. I like to tell Satan, there's a public spectacle going on about my salvation and your hellboundness. Like, it's just happening. You can't speak this over me. There's a public spectacle. What Jesus is, he disarmed on the act of putting your sin on the cross. He disarmed the work of the enemy. I'm going to tell you why this happens because there's that lamb for Azazel. You remember that? That's a little nasty. Okay, so we're going to go back into this, because there's a, a sacrifice to the Lord that had to die. The story continues, and God tells Abraham, or not Abraham, wow, God tells Aaron that after he trickles and sprinkles the blood seven times, that he is to, with his, this is huge, with the blood-stained hands, hold the face of the second lamb. 
the second goat, all right? He holds the face. And then someone is to lead that goat. It says this, I want to get this right. The goat shall bear on itself. He's supposed to speak over the goat all of the sins of the people, all right? Now this goat has dried blood stains on its head, and then it is to be led to a barren region. And the goat shall be set free in the wilderness. Now, can I tell you, that's weird. This is why it happened. So that everyone outside of the kingdom, outside of the city of Israel, could visually see that their sins were paid for this year. Because that goat in the barren region would walk as the living proof of their forgiveness. Now, what I love about this even greater is it says into barren regions. That word, that word means wasteland. So it's not just the earth barren regions, but why it says Azazel for some of you, that animal was to be the very thing to shut the voice of the enemy for one whole year. It would be the thing that would silence the accuser for one year. Does this make sense? This is really cool. Why this matters now? is because God knew in order for the Day of Atonement to happen, there needed to be two lambs, a dead one and a living one. But I also know the only way to be both dead and then alive is if I do it myself. So I'm going to send my son whose blood will be shed as the dead lamb. I will raise him again so that now he goes forward bearing every one of our sin and our shame so that he walks out and it is a living proof to Azazel to every place in the barren lands that my people are covered. That is the beauty of these two things. Why Jesus had to die and why he had to raise again. So that he could be both the sacrifice lamb and the living one. Now, what this means is if you don't believe in the power of the blood, then no matter how many times Jesus says you are clean, which he does, can, I just, can we just sit in the fact that every day Jesus mediates for you? The Spirit of God mediates for you? Every day he speaks, they are paid for. But every day, you still hear another voice. And to make matters worse, we choose to act from that voice. What if we actually saw the blood-stained face of our Savior who makes the claims they are clean? And take it back, what if it was because we actually knew today I've repented from that thing and there's no ground for the enemy to even speak because it has been stained with blood and placed on him. So listen, Satan, he is the living proof of my, my freedom. That has to be something we do or your instincts aren't going to change. Do you know how many people go to heaven and just smell like smoke. That's literally what the Bible says. They were salvifically changed, but they still were so abusive in their words to their spouse. They were salvifically changed, but they did not lead one person into the life-living love of the Father. They didn't get over past their instincts that's the awkward tension that we live in, is how can we still be saved yet sin? 
Jesus is like, because I need you to constantly repent and walk with me. Let's work this out together. And so to close this, this is what Paul says in Hebrews 9. If the blood of goats and bulls with the sprinkling of the ashes from the heifer, all of these things spoken about in Leviticus 16, if those sacrifices sanctify people who've been defiled so that their flesh is pure, how much more will the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit who offered himself without a blemish to the Lord, how much more will he purify our conscience from the dead works to worship the living God? That word purify conscience, that is a present tense action with a future tense reward. It, it, purify means it happened presently, but it will end in the future tense. It's, it's a really cool both now and word the tense of it. And then it says, purify our conscience. In this place right now, we're about to talk about there's nothing but the blood of Jesus. About to sing it. Ben, you guys can come on up, but I just want to speak a time where you can now take the understanding of the word of God, understanding of our dead lamb and our living lamb. You could take that understanding and actually turn it into belief. But he says, the Spirit of God, because of the blood, purifies our conscience. Can I tell you what this word conscience is? The conscience is your ability to decipher what is right and wrong. He purifies it. The conscience is your ability to see God where Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Often, you're in a cloudy day, and it's not because God isn't present, it's because your heart isn't repenting. So we can be in this moment right now, let the blood of Jesus purify your conscience. If there was a dead work of yesterday, repent. If there was a dead work of today that you've done, repent. Can we talk about how many times repentance hasn't happened and it's just furthered our heart and heart? But God, in this place, Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.